It's very invigorating to continue to connect with incredibly authentic musicians. Uh, just on top of the fact that I always leave on a little bit of a higher plane in the sound current, it also uh, sort of reinforces to me the idea that um, these books, uh, The Cats, Volume 1, 2, 3, and 4, will continue on in the future in many different forms because of cats like my next guest who continue to try to uh, carry on what they learned from their elders, pass it on to future generations in a very, very interesting, dynamic, and topsy-turvy world. Royal Massad, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Great to be back, man. Absolutely. Such an honor, man. How was, uh, how was this uh, last tour? Um, I, you know, like, in, in my mind, like, sometimes... Do you feel like you guys are just... It's just funny. I, I'm not saying this is uh, specific to Billy Strings, but there are, like, times where I'll go see my friends' bands, and, you know, it's like they play a 45- or 50-minute set. Yeah. They're just getting hot, you know? They're just <laughs> getting ready to go, and the set's over. And, like, I remember Steve Roach, who's a dear friend of mine, uh, the ambient pioneer, you know, he, he did a performance down here in Tucson for like an hour and a half. And I went up to him, gave him a big bear hug after. And he's like, I could go all night, you know? <laughs> and I just like, I mean, for musicians, like I, I was just getting started. Yeah, That's right. That's right. That's right. Can you talk about how, like, do you run into, the, have you run into that in the past where you get all worked up and hot and then you got nowhere to go? Cause you wrapped up the set. Yeah, I mean, I would say what I've encountered that feel, or where I've encountered that feeling the strongest is usually if we're doing, like, say, a pretty stringent, like, festival set. Exactly. Where it's, like, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour max, and it's a, you know, a hard cutoff. And um, when you don't really have, you know, another set coming up after that, you do kind of feel this, like... I mean, slightly like musical blue balls, you know? Oh, absolutely. That musical blue balls is what it is, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're, maybe say you're playing at a festival for a, a larger crowd of maybe a lot of people that don't necessarily know who you are, and you really are trying to create a statement, it definitely can have that feeling of like, man, like, we, we just like hit this like spot musically that now we're really ready to like, get airborne and they're telling us our time is up you know and that is an interesting experience um i think that's why festivals can be a little difficult at, at times um, <laughs> yeah no i can't i mean for for the audience it's difficult i mean but i mean to me like that would that would mess up my my me psychologically a little bit just like just the idea of the effort and trying to get there and grueling drives and showing up and setting up maybe maybe oh, somebody man. helps you set up and then you get 45 I, mean, I guess more to the point instead of belly aching about it when you guys have advanced no notice that you're on this sort of um sort of uh time frame that's that's tight do you yeah. how have you because i mean Part of me, like, from minute one, I'm ready to rock and roll. Like, I want to go into the stratosphere. I don't care if it's a three-hour show. I'm ready to go. And is there, like, a, a sort of a band approach uh, that you guys take in terms of trying to reach maximum velocity earlier than normal if you are on a tight leash? Yeah, I, I would say there definitely are factors that, that kind of we come into play to make that happen because that's exactly what we're trying to do. Absolutely. That's the intention. Um, I mean, it, it comes down to what, you know, the first song is a very important statement just in itself. Cause it'll set the tone for the rest of the show. Mm. So you have to really kind of consider like you, you absolutely need the right kind of energy. You, um, it isn't necessarily, you just want big energy. You want energy that will kind of set the tone for the entire performance and um, not only that, I find like the second song even to me can hold just as important amounts of 
kind of placement, if not more, because once you're done with that first song, people are like, okay, like, you know, we see you, we, we see what you're doing. And then it's like, okay, so now I need to show you why you want to for the whole set. <laughs> right. No, I dig. I dig. I yeah. want to actually pay attention and not, you know, be pulled away by something else. Why you want to be captivated for this whole time. So I do think it's important. Um, I mean, I would say like something that, I, that I've noticed like Billy likes to do and that I, I think is a good idea for like say a festival set is you really like we will definitely limit the covers that we'll be doing. I love that. Set. So a lot of original tunes. Almost primarily original. Like Beautiful. when we did Bonnaroo this um, last summer, um, it was a great show, man. We played on the main stage right before Tool. It was an awesome slot. It was a really, really fun opportunity. And um, as we were kind of talking about the set list and Billy was kind of getting our input on what we thought about it and stuff, he kind of came to the conclusion, like, you know what, man? Let's let's literally not do one cover tonight. <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah. Which, which you know, covers are, are a big part of our shows. That's true. Now, That's true. We have a fair amount of... of um, of originals now we still only have about three full albums of material so that's not a ton you know so covers are necessary when it comes to material but also they're a, a really cool way of expressing our sound through other people's songs so that's that's what i love about covers as well you know um i'm curious about like no i mean this is really fascinating i mean like do you guys pride yourself i mean <clears throat> You'll have to talk to me and the audience about this just because I'm, it's just, I don't have a huge, it, Billy Strings, I, I'm not an aficionado with the, with the, the, uh, the sets and the material, but it's like, um, you know, the meters, <clears throat> they might cover a Stephen Stills tune and, you know, turn it upside down and inside out. There was a, per a period in time in history where it was cool to do like offbeat covers or different kinds of, not, not satisfaction, you know, not, and I, I mean, are you playing a lot of dog music or are you trying to go in deep into the bag of, you know, sort of like Jim and Jesse or like, you know, like how deep, how oddball are some of the covers that, because to me, if it's a weird cover, I know that the reason you play covers is so that they're recognizable for fans, but sure. you know, and I, so there's a fine line there, but part of being able to incorporate good covers is also doing stuff that people are not necessarily hip to on a mass level absolutely man i think honestly that's where i personally find the beauty and the excitement of covers is when you kind of find the more obscure covers maybe find a song that a lot of people have never even heard and you play it and sometimes you know they think it's your song until <laughs> like you know they find out it's a cover but i think that that is a really great opportunity that you can have when you're playing covers we definitely um when it comes to the bluegrass realm, we absolutely do. We do. We play a fair amount of dog music for sure. We do a lot of Stanley Brothers songs. Beautiful. Do, do some Osborne Brothers, you know, do a lot of Bill Monroe. Um, do some more kind of obscure stuff. Like, I don't know if you know the mandolin player, Frank Wakefield. He's a fan. Yeah, no, uh, dog, dog, dog worshipped Wakefield, man. Exactly. Yeah. And man, he has some originals that are just out there and are absolutely just incredible songs that have become crowd favorites. You know, songs that, that very few people know about and end up being just absolutely bangers, you know? that's um, So I want to be, first of all, that's so inspiring because he, that dude was so, like, he was like, I mean, I think he even predated Bill Monroe, possibly. I don't even know, but he, like... Do, are you trying to, are you trying to keep the play the tune exactly the way it is, or are you actually maybe doing a tempo shift on it, or do you guys generally try to portray? So it'll it'll depend, but I, I say for instance on one of his songs called "End of the Rainbow," it's it's this man, and if you if you think about it later, check it out. It's yeah, I a, will. I will. It's a crazy song. It's awesome. Um, and when we do that, we do it fairly fairly similar to kind of how he plays it but what we add to it is there's um a bit of a extended jam section that i think he might have you know left slightly open that we kind of rip open and just let <laughs> we'll let it go for over 20 minutes 
oh, as a song. You know, God. if if it's wow. if it's asking for it, if that's what it requires to express that song, like we'll absolutely do that. And that one has become a huge jam vehicle, um, honestly, for us in a cool way. Um, and that's one of my favorites to play. Well, I love you. it. I love that you're carrying on the torch. I mean, to to just. And then people must find out that it's Frank Wakefield, and they're like, who's that? You know? Like, then, then right. they have to go dig exactly. for it. Yeah. Yeah. And they absolutely need to know who that is. Absolutely, they do. Yes. Playing those covers, you know? Is it shines a light on artists that should have the recognition, but maybe don't, you know? Do, do, are you guys hip to the, you know, Dog and Peter Rowan are very good friends of mine. I've done multiple interviews with both of those cats. And Amazing guys, yeah. They're just really like, I mean, I've earned their respect through the interviews, but I love them both. And um, are you guys hip to the band? That band they had called Earth Opera. Oh man, I'm not. Yo, sure Royal man, that. Royal. Oh, I'm gosh. gonna voice the uh, dude. Okay, so there's they did two albums where it was basically uh, post six uh, nineteen sixty nine. So it was before Olden in the Way, but. Okay. <clears throat> Rowan and P- and Dog basically it was a two man band, but they, when they went in the studio, they had all sorts of uh, you know different accompanists, session players on it. One's called the Great American Eagle Tragedy, and then there's another one, dude. Some of these tunes are going to blow. I mean, they're very. It's it's like, I mean, you people would probably dub it. Uh, psych folk, that kind of stuff. It is nice. okay. off the the rail. I'm going to send you both albums, and uh, I, I I think you're going to find some new fodder in there because it's a it's a band nobody uh-huh. really knows about. It, it's just the greatest Earth Earth uh, Opera. I love the sound of that. Yeah. Please, I will no. I'm going to fire it up because I I want to me like you know man like when you're not not on a regular basis, but I do want you to just talk about like. You know, where do you where is that that well of inspiration? How do you how do you derive it when you're dragging? I mean, I find myself dragging during the day, or you know, like it's already like ninety something degrees here in Tucson. Like it's hot. I got to go pick up my my kids, and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm gonna be like a freaking roasted tomato by the end of the summer. But but it's like you know. And I've lived here 20 years, so I, I totally am cool with it. But, you know, it's, it's, I'm tired. And then I get the chance to hang with Royal Mossad or later tonight uh, uh, an epic interview with uh, this insane producer from Criterion Studios in Miami, Joey Galdo, who did, like, all the Bee Gees nice. stuff. So it's like, Man. you know, so, so, like, that gets my energy up. That gets my pulse up. And then I'm kind of off to the races. But And I know the music can do that. But when you're not in a great place – do you have a tendency to sort of, and you're on tour, do you, um, I just remember talking to my dear friend who was in uh, Elephant Revival, Dango Rose, another amazing bass player who, okay, yeah, uh, totally. just a beautiful cat, a very similar vibe to you and incredible chops. And, uh, you know, he, after a while, he just saw the sort of uh, deleterious sort of effect that touring could have especially late nights a lot of debauchery you know drink whatever drugs that kind of stuff just par for the course but he would always make it a point to get up in the morning and find a yoga studio or do some kind of meditation i just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you when you're on tour and you're not feeling great and you do you, how do you clear yourself to become a vessel man i i think that yeah that is a a constant it's a constant thing that you can face on the road yeah um especially if you're not you know maybe taking care of yourself if you have a little too many leg nights if you're hitting the booze a little too hard um which you know can be easy to do after you you know play a long show you kind of want to just kick back and let loose a little bit but i have found um definitely there are some things that that kind of help me shake off maybe the funk help me feel kind of like i'm able to get back into the right zone um Definitely yoga has been a good thing for me. I'll, I'll bring a yoga mat with me on the road at all times. Wow. Just to do stretching, just to hit a studio when I can. Um, for me personally, a huge thing that I've realized is just not letting myself just start doom scrolling on my phone in the downtime. Even if it's we're like hanging out, say we're hanging at the venue before the show. 
I try to be pretty intentional about either I'm like talking to people and engaging or I'm reading a book. I love, you dude, know, you're, so, you're, it is so hard to do that too, because it, oh, it's it, everywhere. And yet that saps your spiritual energy, dude. I mean, I'm with you hundred percent. It truly does. It may be, maybe more than anything for me personally, you know, um, I, and I just have kind of realized that and while social media and, and all the different things you're doing on your phone have their place and purpose, um, I've found that I really feel this desire to protect myself from the the really just kind of just super intense energy of being glued to a screen too much, you know? Absolutely. And I find myself like, man, like just getting outside that's a huge thing on the road because you can find yourself in this loop of hotel room to venue and back and forth and then to bus you know and those those three environments while they you know it's great to have a hotel room it's nice to have a bus to travel down the road um man you got to get yourself outside and get outside of that loop Otherwise, it will just end up kind of wearing you down to the point where you kind of feel like you have no control. Wow. I mean, I love the way you're articulating this and and all those things, too. Like, you know, none of that is really uh, physical. Uh, You're being transported uh, from the, you know, you're going to the hotel. You know, you could go, obviously, you go to the weight room or take a jog or whatever. But then it's like the bus, you're getting picked up. Maybe the venue's in walking distance, but maybe not. And then, and then you're back on a bus. It's just it, it, to me like there's like that. I just love where you're going with this. It's it, you're not reinventing the wheel. Um, do you sometimes have to talk to your bandmates if they are losing control and be like, God, you know, man, you know, like whether or not they listen or not is a different story. But do you, <laughs> right. do, do, do you find that you have? I mean, because I think that. Uh, you know, like my favorite band is Circles Around the Sun. Are are you hip to those oh, cats? Man. Absolutely love them. Okay, so I mean, they're like all my best. Like I mean, Dan Horn and I, dude, the the sickest thing, by the way, is that in like three weeks it's going to be Royal Massat Fest in in Phoenix, and then I'm I'm flying to San Francisco one nighter to see uh, Dan Horn Band and Riley Walker. So I'm getting Billy oh, String. It's going to be a great back-to-back night. Dude. You're going to be kicking it off hard. But, right on. All right? It's going to be classic. But, you know, I know those guys go through the same loops because they're – and in some cases it's even more grueling. They don't always have uh, accommodations or things like that. I mean, it's, they're, they're okay. But um, do you find yourself having to be a little bit of a, of a sage without being like, you know – you know, uppity, or do you try to intervene with cats when they are struggling? Totally. So it's, it's interesting because I I would say we all just kind of personality wise are fairly chill dudes who, um, or empathetic of each other, you know, we're aware of each other's vibes. And, um, I definitely try to be, you know, considerate of when people need space and stuff. Sure. Um, it, I would say it, it never has personally for me gotten to a point where, I feel like I have to like kind of get into the mode of like, Hey man, I gotta, you gotta pull out of this or like, I gotta, you know, I gotta say like, you you seem like you're down. What, what it more so is like the dynamic between all of us will just be like, if we have off days, we tend to like check in with each other and see if we want to go do something together. Um, go to dinner, go check out a museum, you know, that kind of stuff. And I would say that more than anything, just kind of like encouraging each other to get out and do stuff. As a group, yeah. too. As, as a group, yeah. And as a group. Yeah. Or, or maybe just a couple of us, you know, here and there. We'll do something together. And then, you know, we, we all just kind of have our the ebb and flow of how that works out. But it seems to me like it's, it's more of like a kind of just like staying connected on a, on a base level just by kind of hanging out. Not just on stage. Yeah, and you know what I mean? You're not the band leader, so, like, it's not, you know, like, it's not your place to, like... But I just feel like you want... Exactly. You, totally. It's okay to pick somebody up. I just, uh... But, but I would, you know... Go if ahead. I, if I, I would absolutely be down with, with the role of, you know, if I saw somebody really struggling, kind of being like, hey, man, like, anything I can do for you, sure. you know? And that's oh, yeah. kind of how I feel like we all would be towards each other. Um, but it's it's cool because, like... 
we all have kind of now, you know, Alex is the newest addition, but man, he's just such a, he's slid in and just completely is part of the band in a really deep way already. Wow. But, but, you know, other than him, it's been this, this layout now, this, this group of guys since 2017. So for six years. And at this point, we, we know, you know, certain things about each other really well. We kind of know how, how we handle things. You know, we know when to kind of just give each other space. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a positive thing. Cause I think we all have a lot of mutual respect for each other and man, like, I truly hope that it never gets to the point where, you know, some bands only talk to each other when they have to get on stage and then they get off stage and it's just like, oh. you know, get back to, you know, their yeah, they're getting their cubicle, their dot there. I mean, they wall them. So yeah, I, I dig, I dig. And, um, yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, the way it is now is a really healthy level of, we do stuff together all the time that isn't music you know we'll be playing cards together we play chess we we go do things on our off days that are fun and are awesome and you know what the thing is you, you're you're it's crystallizing in my head because i'm thinking back to like my favorite era of the grateful dead which is <clears throat> like 83 84 and like okay, yeah. yeah i mean it was dark but part of it so number one they had been together uh, for 20 years, you guys have been together for about seven years. Um, and and I think, you know, that stuff becomes, um, magnified when people are truly suffering. Like, I mean, Jerry was still laying it out there, but he was deep in his heroin addiction. All those guys were dealing with their own kind of issues at that point. And I, I just, I just remember my buddy who was at the Brendan Byrne arena in 84, he had a he had a uh, his seat was behind the stage and he said that you know before the cats came out they all had these like their own little cubicles and they would just sort of come out of those cubicles who knows what they were doing in there then they'd get out on stage play and then go directly back into isolation again so it's just you know it's just one of those things where it's like i feel like you guys are still on a glide path and nowhere near a point when it, it it makes it harder when somebody in the band, especially if they're a major cog, is really struggling with something because then you feel like it needs to be addressed. But if all of you guys are like basically trying to do the best you can, you kind of all understand each other and you're what you're doing is pretty healthy. I, I remember one time going back to uh Dan Horn, he, he when he was with Grateful Shred, it was like um they were out in the Pacific Northwest somewhere between like, you know, Portland and Eugene or somewhere between Northern Cali and, and Oregon. And they just got, went off the grid and like camped out and like took pictures of like animals and nature and like cooked, you know, cooked fish and stuff. I mean, when you, you guys have traveled the country, you must be in some rural places sometimes. You ever, you ever do that where you go fishing or something like that? Totally. Yeah. So that, that was, way more of a feasible thing too when we were van touring sure absolutely um, so now with with the bus situation that has changed the dynamic of that but man i i do miss aspects of van touring and honestly that exact one is probably the thing i miss the most um there was there's been several times that when we were van touring we would have maybe a couple days off i remember at one point we were in upstate new york and we found this awesome airbnb kind of way out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> went and stayed there and we were there for a couple of days and ended up you know doing a couple acid trips walking through the woods just having like oh my gosh time. this is great you know, dude. with each other like making meals um and man that that truly is the best thing you can do for your soul and just for your sanity when you're out on the road is that kind of stuff it is amazing it truly makes a huge difference um, and it, it just kind of, it kind of lifts everybody back up, you know, like it, it makes the grueling part of the road a little easier when you're able to do that kind of stuff for sure. Have you, have you, uh, have you guys, you know, experimented with, uh, psychedelics while playing as a group? So we've. We have never done it like in a in a way where I was like you know like an acid test. I mean, you guys are you guys are channeling some of that vibe anyway. But 
but that's what I'm getting at. Is like not some not a, not somebody you know eating some shrooms, but like the entire band like being like, hey, let's just take let's microdose tonight or something. You know, right? Totally. So so the thing about that is, um, and I think this is important is there's a respect for everybody is in a different place with psychedelics, absolutely, and how they feel about them, absolutely. So. So, you know, there's there's a couple of us that maybe are are way more prone to wanting to use psychedelics. And then there's a couple of us that are much more kind of on the apprehensive side of things, which I think it's great that I don't think any of us have ever felt pressured to do that. So we haven't necessarily done that as a full band, you know, every single one of us like taking maybe say the same amount or something and then just seeing what the hell happens, which... That would be awesome. You know? <laughs> no, but, that, that would be, I mean, to me, like, Eddie, continue, please. Well, so, but what we have done is, you know, those of us who do so choose to, you know, partake, um, there's been, you know, nights where several, several of us will take a similar microdose, maybe a slightly higher microdose. And it's fun because when we do that, while it's it doesn't really matter, you know, if one of us just does it by ourselves, it isn't like any of we're gonna feel like bad about it. But it is fun when you can kind of get into that zone, not alone, you know, where you're on on stage and you know that there's a few of you that are totally going through the same experience. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. it's it's definitely. I find like microdosing, like specifically shrooms, is what I enjoy, and. I just find it to be a, like a musically pure way to get inspiration is how I feel about it. To me, it feels like it's this way to access a deeper sense within yourself of, of your musicality and to kind of derive inspiration. Maybe if you know you've been on the road for a while and you're feeling a little burnt out slightly, it feels like a way to do that with no no like impurity about it whatsoever it doesn't feel like you're like using this like you know like how like say like hard like different substances harder drugs can just have kind of this dirty like feeling of it's taking something from you to give you something that's right you know that's right like you you're not you're not getting something out of it for nothing you're you're paying a price and with with psychedelics and you know like kind of the purer stuff like good quality shrooms or maybe some good acid it doesn't feel that way and that's what i love about it it feels like it's this pretty pretty straight to the source feeling without um really any any downsides well and then obviously like like you said uh, like a like a little healthier microdose or whatever but you're not you know eating a a quarter ounce of shrooms and like going over there. I mean, to me, like that part of it is like, I, I really think it's cool. Like that you could be on stage essentially maybe getting a little, and, and if like, you know, most of the cats in the band dose or whatever, and, and you know, you're getting a little bit insecure, a little bit, you know, wobbly, but you can kind of know that everybody's kind of on that edge together, you know? And like, you can pull, Absolutely. you know, I think that that is, um, you know, because, you know, just I just remember a lot of the a lot of the studio cats um, talked about, uh, you know, going back to the 70s, you know, the cocaine was really just flowing everywhere and it was very pure. And a lot of guys were like, you know, like they were, you know, like I just remember Alan Schwartzberg, the great drummer, studio drummer, he was talking to me about like, you know, one night he was I guess maybe he was drunk, maybe he had done some coke and you know he played this i don't know if it was a gig or yeah i think it was a gig and he just was like man i killed it that was the sickest thing ever and then the next day he like listened back to the recording and he's like he's like this is the worst thing i've ever heard in my life dude Dude, that is that is such a real thing i know man but but i think it's different on my on, on on shrooms and i wanted to ask you about because when you feel like it's the purest form of ex- musical expression is that because a lot of your inhibitions have sort of melted away or the things that you would normally be preoccupied by are nowhere in your consciousness and so you can just yeah. t- talk about because i mean yeah i mean we're talking cocaine or booze that's a different deal completely but, yeah so yeah i would say that 
it, it definitely is helpful when it comes to kind of clearing clearing away the cobwebs. The, yeah, the cobwebs that that life inevitably you know weaves in your mind, um, just from you know things that are going on at home. Like that's something that um, we all deal with on varying levels depending on where we're at. But like you know, just because you're on stage doesn't mean that maybe you haven't had a really hard conversation with maybe a family member or something. And then you still have to go out there and, and you know, give people a good time because oh, they, they come out to that show. But what, what to me, what psychedelics and, like, shrooms in particular really do for me that makes me trust them and feel like they aren't giving me this kind of, like, you know, faux confidence where I'm just <laughs> like, man, I'm killing it. And then you listen later and it's right. like, dude. Right. That was some fucking garbage. Yeah, that was wanking hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what it does for me that makes me trust it is it makes me feel like I am able to be a better listener and connect better musically with other with the others on stage. Wow. To the point where it's not me sitting in this mindset of like, man, I'm just like really fucking killing it right now. It makes me go, oh, I'm able to interact in a deeper way. I'm able to hear what they're doing. And almost like it clarifies the language they're speaking a little bit, you know, to where I can speak back in with a deeper vocabulary. Right, dude, the clarity is there. Yeah, and that's that's what I think is is beneficial about that kind of stuff with music is it it doesn't for me feel the same way that like say even drinking or something can do, which is. Um, almost kind of give you slightly tunnel vision it can put blinders on it's like when you're doing you know psychedelic um kind of influenced things it's much more of a taking off the blinders that were already there oh man and actually oh, like man. letting yourself see the full musical landscape right you know? i mean the problem with me at this point in my life it just Taking off those blinders, sometimes you don't want to see what's there. I mean, it, it playing I just wouldn't want to be on the stage. Sure. You know, being on stage, if I got into my head, it would be a little bit freaking out. I remember Garcia talking about that at one point where he just was like coming apart at the seams with some Owsley acid. And he was like, well, either I'm going to die or I'm going to make it. He just was like, he kind of pushed through it. But, I, you know, that, that you know, the alcohol is interesting. It, it definitely dump, it, it numbs you a little bit. Um, and makes you, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but, uh, yeah, it dampens any of that sort of neurotic or, you know, but yeah, those blinders come off, man, with the psychedelics and it is. And I, I agree. It's, it's not, you know, that's why I've had to be pretty careful about amounts because, you know, I absolutely don't want to get out on stage and just be tripping balls to the point where I'm not sure if I can even remember the song. You that's, know, that's insane. That's the point where it definitely turns into something not as positive because... Well, no, but also I want to be clear, you know, like, I don't know if you ever, probably not wind up in these situations, but, you know, you're really, you're, I, I mean, when the acid tests were going on with the dead, I mean, they were, they were learning how to play the, their instruments and they were basically playing to all these tripping people. It wasn't like there was an expectation yeah of some kind of, again, I hate that word performance, but, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you were up there and people paid money to go see you, and um, it was, so it was a little bit more liberating. Uh, uh, Completely. Yeah. That, that, and yeah, it was definitely more of an environment where it was like, we're all, we're all on this trip together, so might as well not, like, you know, question if, if the wheels are on tight enough, we're already rolling down the road. Exactly, dude. There's no, yeah, there was no, it was, uh, you know, and, um, yeah, I have to, I have to ask you this, you know, like when I, so John Molo, the drummer hooked me up with, uh, with Bruce Hornsby, did an interview before he came to the Fox theater and amazing. Yeah. And, and believe me, Bruce is, freaking great uh and i love the guy i mean he's just a classic dude and uh, really really i mean i was hung up because and i really want to cross check this with you before i at the celebrity because more and more of these shows with the older cats uh, you know uh little feet it was a sit-down show i was livid i couldn't even believe that they would have that 
Bruce, Bruce was a basically a sit down show, and you know I just feel like music is made for dancing, and that being said, the, the one cat. I mean, the, all the guys were incredible on that bandstand, but the one guy who just the aura that was coming off of him was just like so insane was was John Maylander. Yeah, and man. and the dude is I just like this. You know, man, like, and I know how deep you guys are and how tight you are, and I'm just like, man. Yeah, we just hung last night all evening, actually. Can you you talk about the relationship you guys have had, how it's, you know, cultivated and grown through music, and just like, because that dude was like, you know, Bruce was just like sort of handing it off to him and letting him open it up a little bit, but he was like a very humble person, I and I feel that way about you, too. You know, there's no... There's no pretense, you know. I just wanted you to talk a little bit about how you guys met and really ultimately how the relationship has continued to grow. Totally, man. Well, so I met John not long after he and I had both moved to Nashville. We moved here at kind of a similar time, around 2016 or so. Um, And just immediately, I deeply connected with that dude just on a personal level. Once, Once we kind of started talking, hanging out, it was just like we were we were platonic soulmates, you know, <laughs> right, um, right. like in a, in a deep way. Dig. And, and pretty, pretty immediately. Um, cause you know, we came to Nashville to play music and he wasn't playing with anybody specifically at the time. He was playing with a few different people. I was kind of doing the same thing and we started jamming pretty quickly and man, just immediately found that our musical conversations were even deeper than our verbal ones you know and that that was something that just i i'm forever grateful for him as a human being and i'll i'll always consider him truly one of my best friends um but he he really did um introduce me to some super cool things that i i really would have not been aware of if it wasn't for him he was the one that that really encouraged me to go to a fish show um in the fall of 2016 um, my kind of understanding of fish was mainly just kind of hearing people maybe either talking shit about them, um, you know, which they can be a polarizing band to some people. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, continue, please, please. Yeah. But so I, I had only just heard people discussing them from their own preconceived notions of, you know, how they felt about them. And I knew that John loved them. And he was like, dude, like, I've got a ticket, like, just come with me. And I was like, you know what? Totally. <laughs> yeah. And so we go, we go to the show at Ascend, um, Ascend Amphitheater here in downtown Nashville, wow. and just ended up having one of the most profound experiences with music I ever have. You wow. know. Um, wow. I ended up actually, I had known who Billy Strings was before that show, but John and I ended up walking up and running into Billy there, and that was the first time I had met him in person. That's insane. That that's that's the greatest story. I, I put the music aside. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's insane. Night, at least from my perspective, sure. Just for that alone, um, and so we're we're there. That was definitely my first experience with with jam music. Um, Definitely live, you know. That was absolutely my first kind of foray into that. When you say jam, when you say jam music, what does that mean? I mean, you're telling me that you were playing uh, standards before that. Uh, I mean, you know, to, to me, the the you know, I'm going to sit here and say that I respect Fish. I will say that right now. I mean, they have done it, and they've done it prolifically for a long time, and. Yeah. It hasn't always been easy, but, you know, I just, uh, to me, it's, uh, well, there's a lot of things there, but it's not like I'm going to, you know, I've seen them a few times, but, and I have a lot of friends that, that I respect who are musically inclined, who love them too, but, you know, um, when you say jam music, you mean like just sort of, um, because Mike Gordon is one of those guys who... Um, you know, he'll play the root, but he's always dancing around the root too. And, oh, yeah, and sometimes definitely. I feel like that's jam music. Cause that's kind of the Phil Leshian kind of mode, you know? Totally. I mean, that, 
both of those dudes are where I've learned a lot of my jam language from was learning from from their exploration I, to me what I find jam music to be and like what I find um, interesting about it is when you will have a form in a song so it isn't just you're not just going up there and like right. just doing like a straight up improv you know by any means but when you when you get into certain sections of, of the song all bets are off there's no need to continue the current rhythmic you know situation absolutely melodically there's no confines at that point you you know you want to maybe keep it um in in a in a framework that's that's enjoyable for the listener although sometimes you also want to maybe kind of make the listener uncomfortable absolutely and, and go into some you know kind of really um dissonant difficult you know music to process but yet that can be rewarding but i would say it's the it's the agreement that all bets are off in those musical moments where that has been decided you know that's the thing like because even even jazz while in a way and in so many ways jazz has influenced all types of music especially jam music but within a jazz framework usually there are things that stay constant Usually, even though, you know, the soloing player can maybe have an open-ended amount of time, it'll be over the framework of the changes of, of the song. Absolutely. The, the drummer will be keeping, you know, that tempo, keeping that kind of rhythmic groove going the whole time. The difference, so that's the thing about jam music that I find interesting and that I found to be really interesting in the context that we do it because... You know, with, with bluegrass music, especially coming from it as the bass player, if you're playing bluegrass and you're keeping it bluegrass, that that bass beat and that bass line is not, it's not going anywhere ever. It's got to stay constant. It's got to keep things going at all times. If it doesn't, it just feels like the bottom is completely dropped off, you know, the right. map and you're, um, you're just failing, you know? So to find the ability to incorporate those those moments in that kind of music where we agree to figure out how to just let it all go. And Billy isn't telling me what to what to play. You know, he's basically trusting me to to listen to what he's doing and find my interpretation of what it needs, as well as all of us. And um, I mean, I just it's extremely rewarding to do that in a way that, you know, ends up feeling really magical. Well, I mean, also, it's like, I mean, the other thing that should be pointed out here is that, I mean, it takes a serious level, not just of musicianship, but trust to be able to all that quote unquote, all bets are off kind of thing to make it so that it's not a complete and utter mess, you know, and I've, you know, and, and like, that's the gift that I feel like, that you know Mike Gordon brought you know and, and and Phil obviously I also feel that even though you guys don't play with a trap drum I just wonder about when you think of jam music is it the fact that a lot of drummers that play um in a jam context they're not necessarily keeping time on the bass drum they're they're, they're they might be using right. the hi-hat or the ride I mean you know like it's it's just not a it's not some quantized thing it has a tendency to get a little round Absolutely, definitely. And I mean, that that's what, once I started really listening to The Dead and then getting into, you know, specific songs and then specific shows, eras, all that, what I find, what I found and still find really intriguing and, and cool about them is Bill, his drumming, how... Dude, it's, ins it's insane. It's done so much for... Straight up, yeah. just, the, the beat is gone. We are now on a different planet entirely. <laughs> and everybody agrees to let that happen. And he's, you know, just out there completely sending it in a different direction. And everybody is, have, is agreeing that at some point, you know, the further you get out there, the more it can feel like 
where is my tether dude it is off the rails dude it's yeah no i was gonna say you know uh yeah no the, i mean the idea that uh that you put that that kind of stuff together you know just billy's drumming man like uh there was a guy i mean you know that that was the other thing i feel one thing i wanted to ask you about is how how you've learned so many of the cats that I have talked to, you know, they listened to records, but there wasn't a book about the quote unquote right way to play the instrument or, right. you know, there was, there's more, they, they learned on their own. I'm listening, like, you know, Ahmad Jamal just passed. I did this cosmic interview with him and he did this album. Like, I mean, I can't stop listening. He did this tune called Tucson. And so I'm listening to this tune over and over again. And the drummer is playing like he's basically playing in one. Um, and he's just all, he's not all over the kit. He's playing, he's just, it's just so tastefully funky and bluesy. And it's not anything that a book would teach you. And I just wonder, like, with you, how you can try to, similar to the, to the iPhone and getting away from it pre show. Yeah. In your career, how have you learned to, you know, have you found that the best the best way to learn is just through your peers? And how have you tried to to be like, no, I just have to I'm gonna be a vessel of my own sonic expansion. I'm not there is no right way to do something. Right, right. Well, I have found that for me the the best way for me to to learn um and just explore and to be inspired is more than even playing my instrument, I find in intentional listening to artists that I deeply enjoy their music. Hmm. Intentional listening has been for me by far the most important aspect of my musicality. Um, just listening to people and not even in the way of necessarily learning those songs, um, but more so kind of like learning their vocabulary um, learning kind of how they express themselves because when you listen to somebody who's a who's a truly great communicator in a musical way that teaches you how you can communicate yourself musically absolutely you know absolutely so, so I feel like that that's been extremely important and then one thing that I've found is like while we're absolutely not the first jam grass band you know to do it, whatsoever it's been you know yonder has been doing it for a long time um leftover sam and there's all these bands that have kind of been doing the bluegrass thing within the jam the jam genre sure um, but what i found um that is unique about this and it's kind of made me have to realize that there's not a, a really much of a set template for me specifically is the way that we kind of bridge that gap between quite traditional bluegrass and we'll play songs straight up like that and then going completely off the rails to the point where i i've you know found that i just have to kind of trust myself to know when a song requires just a really solid bluegrass bass feel and then when it requires a little more when when people want it you know people need a little more added to this song to make it danceable. And, um, and then, you know, when we get into the uncharted territory, that's where it's like, man, we're, we're trying to do stuff that everybody who does this has a drummer. So how the hell <laughs> am I going to play this in a way that people will still connect with it and want to keep on dancing and feeling it and grooving with it without a drummer. And I find that that task to be hugely rewarding because it's also a big task, you know, like, dude, it's Herculean. It's, it's, it's absolute. I don't, I look forward to seeing it in person because it does, um, it, because I mean, is it, do you, uh, who is plugged in in the band? It's not an all acoustic band. I mean, you're playing upright, but is, is there electric instrumentation as well? Or is it all acoustic? So it's all acoustic. Um, we all are plugged into, like, we all have DIs. So there is, like, you know, an electric tone, like a, an electric, um, you know, 
source coming from. Well, I want to be clear about that. This is like a synthetic thing, though, the, what you're saying. It's, I mean, it's, it, feel, it gives a feel of electric, but it's not. Right, exactly. And, well, and also, I mean, when, when Billy's doing his thing, he's putting his acoustic guitar through um, a Kemper amp and right. through, you know, overdrive and all these things that usually are very distant from acoustic instruments. Um, but also, all the other guys on their instruments have mics, have wireless mics, as well as, you know, the the chord coming out to the DI. So when we're playing that kind of more traditional stuff, you can really get that good acoustic tone that is important for playing that kind of music live. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the, the thing is, is a huge part of that is also just the way Andy, our sound guy, is mixing it. Because if he's mixing, say, my bass in particular, if he's mixing it, in a way that we go into a pretty heavy, heady jam. And he's mixing my bass like it's just a straight bluegrass song where I'm just kind of, you know, right. kind of in the middle of the mix, um, not really pumping. What I'm playing would just be lost in translation, I feel like. It could easily not serve the purpose that I'm trying to make it do. But he, being such an integral part of this and and being our, our sound guy for so long knows when that needs to be pushed, knows when my bass needs to be kind of pumping through those subs even, you know? I love it. And that, that's a huge aspect of figuring out how to bypass the lack of a drummer. You know, I, lo I love it. It is about, like, it's about having a, that it's crucial. I mean, Dan Healy was like that for the dead, but also for you guys, like, just the idea that, I mean, you're not playing in a barn to, like, five people with three teeth, you know? Like, <laughs> right. these are, like, major, I mean, these are, like, big arenas, and, you know, it's just, like, so sometimes it does need to get louder, and that's, that's a major skill for, and it's great to have a sound person who knows, knows you guys. You know, I have one, Royal, I got... Uh, one one final question. It actually is a, a quote in my newest book that's coming out in the next couple of days. Nice. From uh, oh man, I, I, I I'm going to send you. I, I'm going to deluge you with some with some. I'm going to get your Earth Opera. I'm going to get you some links to the to this to, to my first book. My, my, I mean, I, you're going to lose your mind. But um, Lay it I'm going to do it, man. Yeah, you're you're really going to know. You're going to be like, wow, Jake Fiverr, man, he's doing his thing. Um, <laughs> So this is um, from my interview with uh, George Benson. <laughs> he said, Elvin Jones said this about John Coltrane. Quote, it was like God sent us an angel and he stayed with us a little while and then he disappeared. I thought that was profound. I like his assessment of John Coltrane not being ordinary. And I always like to, you know, neither of us are, Thankfully, graybeards at this point, we're not, you know, we're, I mean, I'm still south of 50 um, at 45 years old. You're younger than that. <clears throat> can, can you relate in your career to anybody who, well, the way Elvin described train, so many of these guys, Jimmy, Hendrix, um, you know, they, they, they made s such a massive impact and then they were gone. Yeah. And I just wonder if there was somebody in your career or your life it doesn't have to even be in music who just just was flash and just it was just always you just colors and, and insanity and then and, and and beauty and and really a pursuant pursuance and and evolution but then suddenly they were gone man i mean there there's absolutely so many examples of that in the musical world specifically too you know um, Something personal related to you, though. I just I always like to the, the spirits. My whole show has been dedicated to the to this lifeline, uh, and I just it, I don't I just I'll, I'll say it right now. I mean, I can I can feel guys that I've interviewed who then pass on, and I can feel in some way when they've reconnected on a different plane with their buddies, you know, and they're they're you know they, it, it we're all connected no matter yeah, what. absolutely. You know, I just wonder if there's somebody you want to give a, pay homage to who was inspirational and, albeit, uh, led a criminally short life in this life. 
Yeah, I mean, I I have to say that on a on a personal level, I haven't had a extremely deep experience with somebody. That's very well. That's good. Well, that's good. On, yeah. Which I have to say is like I I guess that is like I'm fortunate in that way, but somebody that I did have interactions with, and and then did leave in a in a tragically early way. Um, is Jeff Austin, man, like, wow. you know, he, he was somebody that, and what I, my experience with him is I was, I, I was around him several times, um, saw him play live, saw the, the, you know, huge energy and, and vibe that he was as a person, as a musician. Um, but what impacted me even more, I think, than my personal experience with him once he was gone was the the way that so many people in the scene that I'm in were so deeply impacted by him hmm. in his life. People that I'm impacted by now, you know, sure. were so impacted by him in a way that um, his passing, I witnessed, you know, their pain, their the deep pain that they experienced once he was gone. Um, and it gave me an understanding of just how deeply he had affected people, you know, um, countless people. No, I mean, it's, it, and I think, I, I don't know what led to his demise, but it's just, you know, like, I just feel like there's so many people, they'll never tell you totally how they feel about you. So sometimes, yeah. you know, people leave and they never know. And I, you know, I, I haven't <clears throat> really had that hit close to home outside of, um, uh, Neil Casal, but, um, but, you know, you know, I mean, like Neil and I were very respectful of each other. We did a couple of interviews and, um, he's actually, you know, I mean, so we were, we, we weren't best buddies, but like we were getting closer and, but you know, like there are no guarantees. And I guess all I would say is that if you feel like expressing something to somebody meaningful, but you're like, Oh, you know, what's the point? You know, they already, you know, always tell people how you feel about them um, because yeah. you know what like you know so many people go to their grave and they never know how much they're appreciated or yeah, they're you know and, and I just feel like that to me is a sign of vulnerability but at the same time when you let people know how much it impacts them uh, how much their work or their art or just their energy um, you know it it, it it it's it has profound it has profound effect. So I would just say, you know, it really does. And, know, and that, that applies to every single person in your life. That's right. It applies to family members. It applies to coworkers, to friends, to musicians you look up to, man. Like I, I think of, you know, times I've really maybe had, had a lot a lot to deal with in life and maybe was in a dark, dark place and just somebody letting me know how important I was to them was everything when I was going through something, you know? I do a hundred percent, man. That's just the most beautiful. I'm so, and I don't think it's done enough. I'm glad, I'm glad it was done with Royal Massage, yeah. but like it, yeah, it, sometimes yeah, a lot of people feel like, Oh, or they don't even want, I don't know. I, you know what? I just think that that is just such a, it's such an important piece of everything because we're all, you know, in our own way, we're all dealing in our own madness and our own struggles. So it's just, you know, and, and to, but to connect with the cats, man, it's just been, you know, I, I just want to say like, uh, you let me know. I mean, how should, how, like I, I'm already, I can barely sleep for the 17th, dude. I am fired <laughs> up. <laughs> oh man, I love it. I, I cannot wait to hang in person. We got to hang, man. I, I'd love to get, I don't know what time you guys are rolling in. Should I reach out like a day before or something? Cause I'd love to just, totally. you know, okay. Definitely do, man. Please. Dude, I cannot wait to hang, Royal. It is really, I f and this is one reason I love and continue to do my show, like, John Maylander was not on my radar. And then through Bruce Hornsby, there's this cosmic connection. Yeah. And now to you. And it's like I've I've tapped into this whole new area of cats. And it's just like it's beautiful. It just keeps Isn't it? Isn't it a beautiful thing? It's just as like, a journalist, as a as a whole for somebody who dwelled in his, with his elders for years 
to really continue now to just this these offspring and just keep finding these new young cats. It's just it, it it is like I said before. You could be dragging along after an hour with Royal Massat. I'm on cloud nine, dude. I'm ready to rock. Right on, man. Well, man, it's yo, really, man. Cook some dinner. Really an honor, man. Hey, man. I'll send you some. I'll send you some goods. I'll send you some stuff, and uh, I'll hit you up on the 16th. We'll make it happen, and we're gonna we're gonna be rocking, baby. Wonderful, man. Yeah, Thank man. you so much, Jake. Much love, Royal. Talk to you soon, bud. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Peace, man. Bye. Yeah.